Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Light of the East is also funded by a grant from the Koch Foundation. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. I'm going to ask you not to celebrate Christmas. That's right. Your, your dial, there's nothing wrong with your dial, your signal. I said, do not celebrate Christmas. Rather, enter into, immerse yourself in the mystery, the mystery of the Incarnation the divine condescension, the self-emptying of God, his kenosis, to use a word in Greek, because this is actually what is happening and what we're called to do. We're always called in the church to immerse ourselves in the mystery that we are, quote-unquote, celebrating. And see, celebrating isn't enough. I mean, think of it this way. What if you were invited to a wedding? You were supposed to be in the wedding party, but you stayed at home and with somebody else at the wedding party and drank together and toasted each other and toasted the bride and groom. You celebrated the wedding, but you did not participate in it. You did not immerse yourself in the reality. Was celebrating fun? Was it nice? Yeah. Was it thoughtful? Yeah. But it was not an immersion in the actual event. And that event of a wedding is something that changes two people forever. They become husband and wife, no longer single, but husband and wife. It's the same thing with the events in the church and the church's liturgical calendar, especially now with the Feast of the Nativity of Our Lord coming up. We don't celebrate it. I mean, we can say that, but it underplays it. Rather, we immerse ourselves in the mystery because this mystery, the event of the incarnation, notice I say incarnation. I mean, it is the birth of Christ, but it's better to actually call it the incarnation because that gives the cosmic dimension of it. The real why behind it, the ultimate destiny of it all, it's more than just a baby born in a manger. That's a part of it. Yes, a beautiful and necessary part of it. But we don't celebrate a baby in a manger. Not even Jesus Christ, the newborn king. We don't even celebrate that only. That's a piece of it, a necessary piece of it. What we're doing is immersing ourselves in this mystery, the incarnation, which has this 
broad, infinite, far-reaching, cosmic significance for all time. It was the mystery hidden from all time and now revealed. And we are the privileged ones to be able to enter into that mystery and be changed by it because it did change the world. It changed history. We mark time, you know, AD, BC. We mark time by this event. This was the event that split all of reality, split all time and changed it forever. In the liturgical prayers, as always, there's a beautiful description of this mystery of what's really happening. And it says this, these are the Vesper prayers in the Byzantine church for Christmas Eve. Come, let us rejoice in the Lord. Let us proclaim the present mystery by which the partition has been broken and the flaming sword withheld. Now the cherubim shall let us all come to the tree of life. As for me, I am returning to the bliss of paradise from which I had been banished by disobedience. Behold, the image of the Father and his unchangeable eternity has taken the form of a servant. Without suffering, he has come forth to us from an all-pure virgin, and yet he has remained unchanged. He is true God as he was before, and he's taken on himself what he had not been, becoming man out of his love for all. Therefore, let us raise our voices in him, singing, O God, born of the Virgin, have mercy on us. This is a classic example of the dogmatic hymns characteristic of the Eastern churches, in particular the Byzantine church. You notice this unfolded in these words, which is the prayer at Vespers. We chant this as our prayer. The theology is unfolded here. The whole spectrum of the event of this great mystery is articulated here in this prayer. It becomes our theology. It becomes our prayer. They're all one and the same. That's part of the geniusness of the Byzantine liturgical tradition. But you'll notice what it says. There's all kinds of things here. This partition, in other words, We could not get to heaven. Not even the righteous people could be in heaven yet until this event of the incarnation, which, of course, would give rise then to the final victory of Christ, dying, defeating the power of Hades, the devil, and then rising and taking us with him to heaven. All that would start with the incarnation. And with the incarnation, we have God himself infusing himself, as we heard in this prayer. He takes on what he was not while still remaining who he is. He infuses himself not only into human nature, but by virtue of that, all of creation. In other words, the invisible God, who is pure spirit, now takes on matter. He infuses his spiritual self into matter, into things, you know, stuff that has physicality that he himself created and set in order. And in doing that, he changes the quality of those things. He elevates the quality. He now has the world. And everything in it infused with his presence, most particularly the human person. Now, we have to stop and think about that. Here you have an infinite God, perfect, without any kind of imperfection, limitation, nothing. Pure, innocent, pure God, the essence of all that is good and holy. And that God created something he loved, essentially created a bride for himself, something that would share in him. He wanted that bride to be happy. That bride would be his creation come to perfection in the human person and most perfectly in the church. So God creates this so he can love her. 
love his creation, love the human person. And in return, we disobeyed him. We threw it back in his face. Now, we should have deserved punishment, and that was it. Probably even annihilation, because we have to understand, you're talking about an infinite, perfect, omniscient God and his own creature rebelling against him. I mean, he didn't have to make us. He was perfectly happy by himself because he's God. He doesn't need anything. But he chose out of love to create first spiritual beings in heaven, angels and so on, but then physical beings, physicality, rocks and trees and stars, and eventually human person. He chooses to make that. And after that rebelled against him, he responds by emptying himself, humiliating himself, condescending, descending from heaven to become lower than what he was while still remaining God, to take on that which is finite now and lower and more crude and coarse and banal. You know, these human bodies, this earthly existence that can sometimes be treacherous and ugly and smelly and dirty and bleeding and cruel. He takes that on. You imagine that? He takes that on and he's going to redeem it. He's not going to stop. In fact, he's even going to march into hell with that human nature and break the bonds of the devil and then raise that human nature with him all the way to heaven. This was his response, how he got even for our insolence. What do we feel like doing? What do we do sometimes when we feel we've been wronged? What do we do? Oh, we want to get even, don't we? And one way or another, we're going to get even. We're going to show them what did God do? God, in response to our insolence, would humiliate himself and become us, and he would not stop till he raised us to heaven with him. This is what we're celebrating and not even celebrating. This is actually what we are immersing ourselves into. This Christmas time is not just a time of giving presents, getting together, singing hymns. That's all good. It's all good. It's part of it. But it's more like, almost like what maybe St. Thomas Aquinas would call the accidents of it. Something like crumbs from the actual loaf of bread. But if someone gave you a loaf of bread, would you push it aside and just eat the crumbs? If it was a good loaf of bread, the crumbs would even be tasty. But would you prefer the crumbs when you could have the bread? Well, Jesus Christ is the bread of life. He came into this world. The incarnation occurred in a little town, Bethlehem, which means house of bread. He came to give us the bread, the loaf, and we turn around and we get immersed in the crumbs. Think of the hymns, the songs you hear on the radio. Some stations have started back in October. All Christmas music, 24-7 since October. What is that about? I mean, I love Christmas, but what is that about? Getting us to shop or something? We need two months to get into the spirit of Christmas. And when you hear those things, you hear things on TV, advertisements, whatever, there was almost nothing, nothing about the actual great mystery. It's all crumbs of the bread. It's the spin-offs. It's the feeling, the sentiment. You know, White Christmas is about snow. It's about mistletoe. It's about feeling. It's about crackling fires. It's about a, a reindeer with a red nose. Think of all those many, many songs that, yes, it provides a certain atmosphere of sentiment, of coziness, of 
getting together of sweetness and peace. That That's okay. But it's, it tastes good. Yeah, like the breadcrumbs taste good. But the point is the bread and all that the bread means and does for us far beyond just the crumbs. This year, I would like you to have the best Christmas of your life. The way you're going to do that is by not celebrating Christmas, but immersing yourself in the mystery. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Every day, Father Loya posts a brief two-minute Facebook video on the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish homepage. You'll be amazed at what you can learn just by watching. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Welcome to a St. Nicholas Minute. Why do people call St. Nicholas Santa Claus anyway? Well, the people of Holland have always had a special fondness for St. Nicholas, or Santa Claus as they call me. In fact, to this very day, I still arrive to deliver gifts on St. Nicholas Eve, that's December 5th, dressed as a Roman Rite Bishop and riding my white horse, Amerigo. Anyway, in the 16th century, when Dutch settlers came to the New World, they brought their Santa Claus tradition with them to a place called New Amsterdam. That's modern New York City. And so, when the English-speaking settlers arrived, they began to mispronounce my Dutch name of Sinterklaas, which means, of course, St. Nicholas, and they began to call me Santa Claus. So Santa Claus really means St. Nicholas. But no matter what I'm called by name, my spirit is still the same. I'm filled with the joy that flows from the Christmas proclamation, Christ is born, glorify him. <laughs> I'm Loretta Freilich of the Catholic Charismatic Renewal of Chicago and Pentecost Today, and you are listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak with More to Life. Family traditions are such an incredible part of a happy, healthy family. Advent is a great time to come together as a family. Incorporating simple traditions like the Advent wreath and Advent calendar and the like can be little ways that your family can bring your faith home and connect with each other. Whatever you do this Advent, make time to be present to each other. Allow God's love to be incarnate in your life in the little ways you love and attend to each other. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. We've been talking about immersing ourselves into the great mystery, hidden from all time and now revealed, and we're avoiding this idea of celebrating Christmas. You immerse yourself in a mystery, and by doing that, that means that, you know, when you immerse yourself into something, just like we do during baptism, where we immerse the person being baptized three times into the water, that's right, even a baby. When we do that, we get all wet, right? If you immerse yourself in something, you get that something on you. You're in it. So if you immerse yourself in this great mystery, the incarnation, that is the birth of Christ, then it gets on you. You're in it, which means it has to then be transforming you, changing you, just like baptism, just like receiving any sacrament. There is a change that goes on within us because we immerse ourselves in that sacrament. That's why the sacraments of the church always have to have some kind of physical matter with them. 
that we pour on us or put into us or we we are immersed into always in all the sacraments because it's about something that makes us different, even physically. You walk out of baptism all oiled up and watered up, wet and oily. That's how you're supposed to be because you're immersing yourself in the reality of that sacrament by virtue of, by way of these physical elements, which have in them the very presence of the Holy Spirit. So you're immersing yourself into the very life of the Trinity by way of these physical things, such as oil and water. Then you add to that the words of the priest. You always have to have both things, the words, the action, and the material things present in a sacrament. There has to be some thing, and there has to be words, all with the action of the priest. So we immerse ourselves into the mystery of this nativity, this divine condescension, and that should be transforming and changing us. Think of the wise men, the three wise men, the magi. Think of the shepherds. Think of the nativity story, you know, the beautiful, enchanting story, highly symbolic, very theological. Think of a nativity scene, you know, a a crutch or a nativity scene outside or inside or an icon in the church, whatever. Think of that. What's happening in that scene? What's happening in that scene is that when the wise men come, and they were, you know, they were big shots. They were wise men. They came and they, how are they always depicted? Kneeling, paying homage to the Christ child. Kneeling and offering gifts. In other words, they're deferring to his superiority. And these are superior men in themselves. That's why they're in the, in the scene. These are Gentiles of nobility and of status, and yet they're kneeling to this child in the manger. What about the shepherds? The shepherds are in absolute awe, and they begin to sing the praises and announce the good news to the world. So they're changed, radically changed. Joseph has to move from doubt and confusion and consternation over the miracle of this virgin birth. He has to move from that to full belief and righteousness and honor and faithfulness and commitment to that holy family. Everybody, everything is changed. In the icon of Christmas, if you look at an icon of Christmas, a Byzantine icon of the nativity of our Lord, he's seated in a manger, which actually looks like a sarcophagus. In other words, like a tomb. This anticipates his being buried in a tomb and rising. In other words, it's saying, hinting at what this child came to do, not just to be born, but to do something. And that manger is set in a cave. So there's rocks all around him, and he's set in the cave against a dark background because he's the light coming into the darkness. But the edges of the cave and the other natural surroundings of the cave are actually lit up. In other words, the light coming from Christ is touching the rocks It's even changing the rocks, inanimate things like rocks. This is how replete this idea is in this nativity event of everything having been changed, transformed by this miraculous event. And that's telling us that we should be transformed. In other words, on December 26th, you should wake up, look in the mirror, and say to yourself, I am different than I was Yesterday, the day before, a few weeks ago, six months ago, I, in some way, am being transformed. I'm a deeper, holier 
more authentic person of Christ. Because the mistletoe and a lot of the secular hymns and carols, the advertisement, the gifts, as sweet as they might be, are not going to transform you. And the point of the incarnation was to transform everything and everybody, to bring us back to how we were originally made and to point us to and help us participate in our ultimate destiny. And this is made possible, this reaching back to innocence and then touching our ultimate destiny of heaven. That is made possible only by way of this miraculous event of the incarnation of God. In the liturgical verses, once again, we refer to those. Here we have the Virgin Mary, and this is the Vespers for the Christmas Eve, not Christmas Day, but the Vespers for Christmas Eve. In other words, they would be sung on the evening of December 23rd. And the Vesper prayers are interesting because you're hearing from Mary, almost like a conversation, like she's thinking out loud and talking to people. And it says here in the prayers for Vespers, you bear the form of Adam, yet you are all perfect, being in the form of God. Of your own will, you are held in human hands, even though in your own power, you uphold all things. The pure and undefiled virgin spoke aloud, how shall I wrap you in swaddling clothes like an infant? How shall I nurse the one who gives nourishment to the world? How shall I not wonder in amazement at your poverty beyond understanding? How shall I, who am your handmaiden, call you my son? I sing your praises and I bless you, for you grant great mercy to the world. But how do we immerse ourselves in this mystery? Well, like all great events, we have to have a preparatory period. That's what we're in now. The period of, in the Byzantine church, we call it Philip's Fast, which began November 15th, a while ago already, and now in Advent in the Western lung of the church. Both preparatory periods actually have the underlying theme of doing whatever we do whenever a special guest is coming to our home. We clean house. In this case, we clean the house of our souls, of our personhood, but also our physical being as well, our physical homes as well. Things that we can do during Advent that help us to immerse ourselves into the mystery so it transforms us is to start the process of transformation. We do this in the Byzantine church. We do it by fasting from meat and dairy products three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Now, that used to be the case also in the Latin Rite church. Advent and the Philip's Fast both carry with it this theme of cleaning house by way of repentance and ascetical discipline, confession, getting rid of clutter in our lives, spending less time on the phone, the computer. Anytime you divest yourself of something, it makes an opening for something better to be put in that place. So the something better would be the reading of Scripture, especially the prophets who foretold the coming of Christ in the Bible, a reading of a spiritual book. There's so many great books on spirituality that are very easily attainable through Catholic publishers. Also, reconciling some hurts and broken relationships, especially if it's in marriage or family, looking up an old friend, visiting someone you haven't spoken to or visited for a long time, focusing on peace, more silence, less TV, less electronics, less shopping, that's right. Instead of indulging, divest. Instead of taking on, let go. I know this flies in the face of what we're used to, but it's because we got used to eating the crumbs of Christmas 
and not immersing ourselves in the bread, the loaf, the bread of life. Christmas happened so that we could become holier, more contemplative. We could reconcile relationships that are hurt and broken. We could forgive. We could draw closer to Christ. We could have less clutter, less false gods, less addictions, less distractions in our lives. This is why it happened. Unfortunately, we're in a sense told the opposite. I mean, it's wrapped in pretty sentimentality. It's a happy kind of joyous time. It's okay, but it's urging us in the opposite direction. I want you to have the best Christmas of your life. And the only way to do that is to climb up on the wings of the church, the genius of the church, in its preparatory period, its penitential period. Clean your house spiritually, physically. Clean up your life. Clean up your life in terms of brokenness, ugliness. Clean it up. Go to confession. Prepare to immerse yourself into the great mystery, hidden from all time and now revealed. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. This is Dr. David Anders, host of Call to Communion. Advent is a season when we anticipate, look forward to, prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord, Lord Jesus, the birth of Christ. In, in tradition, Advent is a time of penance. It's a time to deny ourselves and mortify our flesh as we prepare ourselves for the coming of our Lord. In our culture, a lot of times people think it's time to put the tree up, start the holiday parties. That's all wonderful. I mean, got nothing against holiday parties. So when you're thinking about your holiday parties, think also about preparing your heart. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!